Good to see you folks again tonight. Appreciate you coming back. I appreciate the invite to be back here on this Sunday night and spend a little time with you again. Uh, my beloved Donna couldn't be with us tonight. She got last minute got called out of town on ministerial duties, uh, sort of, and uh, so she sends her greetings. I I just don't travel anywhere, you know, ministerial wise without her. Uh, several years ago when I was at Adelphi, I was there 34 years as pastor. And uh, one day, one of the ladies of the church said to me, she, she said, Now, Pastor, we don't want you to leave. But if you ever do leave, would you leave Donna? <laughs> so I, I knew what stood between me and a pink slip was her, you know. So, so uh she fits in well most places and uh, here I'm sure as well. Our text tonight is the book of Matthew, chapter number 2, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 2, an interesting passage. I usually don't read this many verses that I'm going to read tonight, but we need to do so uh, to kind of get a, a run on this, on this passage of Scripture and kind of get the context of it. Matthew chapter number 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasure, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed under their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of, uh, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. We've read our text uh, tonight. Would you pray briefly with me and then give me a good hearing for just a little while? Now, Lord, we have read your infallible book. There's so much here that could be taught tonight. But I pray that what is taught, that you'd enable me to be clear, concise, precise when it comes to your word. But, Lord, more than that, I want the Spirit of God to do a work in my heart and these dear people who have come. Lord, is there somebody here without Jesus Christ that they might turn and trust thee before it's forever too late? Do, all, do your work in all of our hearts, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's the Christmas season and everybody gets their, gets their trees up and so forth, and we do as well. I'm, I'm, most men are not shoppers, we're buyers. You ladies will go shopping, and and then and then you you find a bargain someplace, but you you think that maybe it's a little cheaper someplace else, and then you travel there, and when you get there, you find out well it's cheaper at the first store, and so you go back there. And men are not that way. We men are just we're buyers. We just we know what we want, and we go in a store, and it's there, and we buy it, and we. And we might pay too much, but we have the satisfaction, I don't have to, I don't have to shop anymore. I am done. So I wait till December 23rd to do my shopping. I go to a convenience store, buy a bunch of, a bunch of pine-scented uh, air fresheners and hand them out to the, to the grandchildren and the, to the kids. I mean, I'm somewhat joking with you, but we have, we have all our Christmas traditions and so forth like you do but what we find in the bible here there are some things that we have traditionally that are just not they don't hurt anything doctrinally but they're just not found in the bible and the passage i read to you is full of them you say what are you what are you talking about well when we put up our manger scene at our house and I look at it and I say, that manger scene just is not biblical. But we put it up anyway. Well, you say, what's not, what's not biblical about that manger scene? There were not any wise men at that manger scene. And maybe that's the first time you heard that, but you have to understand. Now think with me. These were men from Persia. They were at least 1,500 miles from Bethlehem or Jerusalem. And there was no red-eye flight that night. And they had to cross desert. There were no holiday inns on the way. There were no convenience stores on the way. How long do you plan a trip to go across the desert when you're riding a camel? You have to have food. You have to have water. You have to have so many provisions. So you find here that, you know, the wise men, they say, well, there are three wise men. The Bible doesn't say that. 
And we get that number from the number of gifts that they gave. But nowhere does it say that there were three wise men. If you look in history, what's been written before, some say as high as 14. I don't know how many wise men they, there were. I know that they came all the way from Persia to get there. We find something else here. You find that they came to Jerusalem. They and I think with me, and this is just this is personal opinion. Personal opinion. How in the world did they know to even look for a Messiah or a Savior? Personal opinion says when when the children of Israel went into captivity and were taken to, uh, into Babylon and so forth, they, they what they had believed all those years were taught to those people whom they became slaves and captives to. And so the Messiah was inculcated, and the seeking of Messiah was inculcated into that society. And when they saw this unusual kind of star, it indicated to them that the Messiah was born. And they began that journey, then that long, long journey over to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem uh, first of all. Now, I want you to notice here, it's very interesting to me that when they came, when they got to Jerusalem and they go see Herod, they say to Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, if you were king, what would you think? You would think, I have competition. Somebody is going to take my place or trying to. Now, a savior, maybe, he could stand that, but a king. So now, where does he find an answer? Oh, I, it's, to me, it's so interesting. Here, Herod is an unbeliever. He doesn't believe in, in the Messiah. He doesn't believe anything, but he, he knows where to go to get an answer. And he goes to the scribes and the chief priests to find the answer. Did you ever notice, did you ever, did you ever understand what a scribe is? A scribe is somebody who handwrites the scriptures. They didn't have printing presses. And so they hand wrote it. It was a, a very slow task. And they were about it. A scribe, before he would write down or copy the Bible, he would always bathe. He would put on clean clothes. He would take the sheet that he's going to copy. And of course, Hebrew is written from the bottom right-hand corner up to the top, just the opposite of the way we do. Right at the bottom, start at the, at the bottom and come across. He would begin to write. When he got done with that page, he would count, he would count the words. And if they did not match, then he took and tore the copy up and started again. 
because they were not just writing a book or a novel. They were copying the infallible word of God. They were very meticulous kind of people. And there's more things that they would do. I, they go, Herod says, i got to find an answer. Where is this king going to be born? So he goes to the scribes and the chief priests and wants an answer. And they give it to him. Because they know their Bible. And they quote to him Micah 5, chapter 5, verse number 2. You need not look, look at it, but you, if you get home, look at Micah 5, 2. And they tell him Bethlehem, because thus saith the prophet. And they quote to him Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Now listen to me, folks. Here are people who knew the Bible. And they never got up from their desk to go see the Messiah. Knowing your Bible is not enough. If somebody asks you where the Messiah was going to be born, I wouldn't probably know where to look. I do now because it's in the scriptures. But they didn't have enough spirituality to get up and go see the where the Messiah was going to be born. That was the answer they got. Those wise men, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. I want you to notice they travel to Bethlehem and now the star appears again and comes and they were glad when they saw it and came over where Christ was. Now look, look very carefully at the text. Here. Verse number 8. Herod says, Go and search diligently for the young child. Um, verse number 9. Stood over where the young child was. Look at number verse number 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child. You see that same term there in verse number 13, young child. The Greek word there is hydeon. They didn't go to the manger, they went to a house. The word there, the Greek word is pideon, which young child is okay as far as translation goes, but if you and I were translated, we would say toddler. We would say toddler. And this is confirmed by the very idea when Jesus Christ, or excuse me, when, when Herod asked what time they saw the star, and they told him, and he had all the children killed from two years or younger. If it was just a newborn, they would have put to death just children who were two weeks or three weeks or younger put to death. But he said two years and younger. They went into a house. It was a toddler. Now, does this take away from, from the story at all? At my house, when we have the manger scene and, and the wise men are there, 
Now, it doesn't take anything doctrinally, but I'm just telling you that we get traditions sometimes that have no biblical basis whatsoever. I don't want to talk about that so much as I want to talk about this. They got there, and those wise men presented three different kinds of gifts. Gold, incense, and myrrh. The kids say to me, grandkids, Grandpa, what do you want for Christmas? Hair. I don't need these things. Well, we got to buy you something. So they'll figure out some little, some little ditty to buy me, and I, you know, whether I need it or not. You, you know, I, I've gotten ties from them that I, I'm not sure I'd wear anywhere. But the gifts they give me are not symbolic. But the gifts that the wise men gave to the Lord Jesus were absolutely symbolic and had great, great meaning. The first one they gave was gold. Gold has always been and will always be the sign of royalty. A few years ago, one of my members of my church came to me, and he we, it was a Wednesday night, and we, he said, oh, he goes every morning to a restaurant, and they, they talk there at this restaurant, him and a bunch of retired guys, and there was some, must have been some kind of amateur investor among that group. And he came to me and he said, we were just talking, and he said, well, the running out of gold mines and silver is going to take over where gold was. And I said, John, don't you believe one word of that. I said in the Bible, the streets of heaven are not paved with silver. They're paved with gold. They have always, that has always been the standard of royalty. In Solomon's time, if you look in, in, the, in the book of uh, Samuel and so forth, where Solomon was king, it gives the amount of gold that came in to Solomon every year, and it was in the billions of dollars, billions of dollars. And it says that silver was counted as nothing in his day. Well, I'd like to have a little of that nothing, wouldn't you? But gold has always been the standard of royalty. And those wise men presented that to Jesus Christ because 
dear listener, Jesus Christ is King. He has always been King, and He will always be King. And those wise men recognized that Christ is King. to understand something perhaps you have not been acquainted with the Bible for a great length of time. Jesus Christ did not begin when he was conceived in mother in his mother's womb. The book of John says in the first chapter in the first verse it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Well, you, you don't know from that verse who they're talking about. It just says that the Word was God. He was with God. You don't know who that is until you get to verse number 14 of that same chapter. And it says, and the Word, who's in the first, first verse as God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And while we can identify who that word is in John 1.1, 1, 1, it's Christ. He's God. He's the creator. Everything, everything was created by Jesus Christ. That's what John 1 says. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the one who created everything now has become flesh. Listen to me very carefully. If you ever wanted to know what God was like, if God would become a man, look at Jesus Christ. He's God made flesh. Are you with me? For the book of Colossians says, For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. First gift, gold, royalty, king. The second gift they gave that night was, or that day was, incense. Interesting gift. Incense has, I think, three meanings here. Three different ones. One, it, incense was used for worship. It was, it was part of the Jewish worship service. It was given to Christ because he is worthy of worship. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, any other human being who accepted worship, God killed. Did you know that? Look in the book of Acts sometime when Herod accepted worship from, from men. And God, it says he died of worms. A horrible way to, to die. They wanted to worship Peter. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm a man just like you are. But Jesus Christ accepted worship. He is, he is worthy of you and I honoring and glorifying 
and bowing to him. That's the first meaning. The second meaning of incense is this. It's, incense is a sweet-smelling savor to God. It, it smells sweet. It, sta- it stands for the perfect life of Jesus Christ. Remember that voice from heaven, what it said about the, uh, God spoke from heaven, and he said this about, his, about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What God is testifying there, think with me, the last time, the last time we knew anything about Jesus Christ was when he was 12 years of age in the temple. And you have 18 years of nothing, we know nothing. His teenage years, those difficult years that teenagers go through and young adults go through, and we know nothing about Christ then until he's 30 years of age. And he begins his ministry, and we don't know anything about his life, but when God the Father says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I know from that statement alone that Jesus Christ did absolutely no sin in those 18 years that we knew nothing about him, else God the Father would not have been pleased with him. We know he was sinless. And this this incense speaks of the sinless life of Jesus Christ, this smelling savor. But there's something else that incense represents. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 5, you need not turn to it there, but if you want to, that's that's certainly okay. In Revelation, chapter number 5, and verse number 8, here's what it says. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors or incense, which are the prayers of saints. And then you have in chapter number 8 of the book of Revelation and verse number 3, you have that same truth there, that incense offered with the prayers of all the saints. Incense is a picture of, of prayer. Messiah for for centuries, centuries, and now here, here is the answer to all those prayers. You ladies, you know in this day and age, in this day and age, if if a if a lady cannot have children. They themselves, of course, are burdened by that. But it is not a burden. People do not look at you with eyes of disgust. 
But if you were a young Jewish girl and you were barren, you could not have children. A woman in those days figured that God had something against her because she could never bear the Messiah. And if you look at Hannah and Sarah with barren wombs, oh, how they agonized over that. But now, Jesus Christ has come. He is the answer to the prayers of God's people. He's here. He's here. But they gave one more gift. Not only gold, which is a symbol of royalty, it's a symbol of kingship, that he's God of all. They gave incense, which is a picture of his perfect life that he lived. It's a picture, picture of the prayers of God's people. It's a symbol of, of worship that this person deserves to be worshipped and honored and bowed to. But the last one is myrrh. I'm sure your former pastor, Pastor Bungie, has gone to the hospital like I have. He's gone to the OB ward there. And um, seen the newborn baby with our with our parish, our parishioners. And sometimes they get gifts. Church people send them gifts. What, what would happen, ladies, if you had just had a child and you're in the OB ward at one of the hospitals and somebody brings you a gift and you open it up as a young mother and here is a bottle of formaldehyde, embalming fluid. You'd say, what kind of gift is that? If I mention the name of Nicodemus, you know something about old Nicodemus. In John chapter number 3, he's the one that came to Christ by night. He's the one that stood up for Christ later on. He became kind of a silent believer. But you kind of lose track of old Nicodemus after John chapter number 3, but oh, he appears again. He appears in John chapter number 19. And he appears when Jesus Christ is dead. And in verse number 39 of John chapter number 19, it says this. John 19, 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at, the at first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus and run him in linen clothes with the spices, 
as the manner of Jews is to bury. They didn't embalm, but they anointed the body with myrrh. Embalming fluid, if you will. A spice to anoint a body. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ came to die. There was no other reason for him to come. When I was a student at Bob Jones University, I, I had a period of time in there where I just wondered at times if I was even saved or not. And that's a terrible place to be when you're studying to be a preacher. And here you have doubts about your own salvation. I, I remember going to the library and opening my Bible and saying to the Lord, I've, Lord, I've got to have some answers here. I, I, I'm just miserable. I, sometimes I think I'm saved and sometimes I'm not sure. I, I just... I've just got to be clear on this. And the Lord in his gracious kindness to an old farm kid gave me John 3.17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I put my own name in there. For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn Ron Vanderhart, but that Ron Vanderhart could be saved. There's no un, there is no other reason for Jesus Christ to come. He could see the world from heaven. He didn't have to come down here to condemn us. We were condemned already. There was no reason for him to come except to save us from our sins. And that's why he came, he came to die. When Mary herself got the announcement that she was going to bear a son, it was going to be conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit. Remember what the angel said, a sword shall pierce thine own heart also. And she found out from the angel right then that Jesus Christ was going to have a sword pierced into him. And when that happened, it was just like her receiving that sword in her heart. Those wise men gave three gifts, gold, royalty, king. perfect life the answer to God's people their prayers and that this person we give this gift to is worthy of being worshipped and the third one is myrrh he came to die it's very interesting after the wise men saw Jesus Christ First time they had seen the Messiah. And God said to them, told them, don't 
go back home the same way. Go another way. Now, I don't know what your spiritual condition is. I don't know if you're saved or not. I don't know if you're on your way to heaven. I don't know that. But you don't have to leave here the same way that you came. God wants you and I to leave a different way. I mean by that, that your heart is tender toward the Spirit of God and my heart is tender so that he can teach us something about himself that changes us. When they saw that Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and gave those gifts, God said, go, go home a different way. And they did. It could be that you have been in this church for years and years and you know what the Bible teaches. But that's not enough. It's not enough for you to know the Bible. The scribes knew the Bible. They had it in their head. But they have never yielded themselves, surrendered themselves to the Lord Jesus sat at their desk, copied the scriptures, and went on their way, merry way while their own Savior was just a few miles away. I've often wondered, I wonder if any of those men ever trusted Christ to be their Savior. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to a person is that they're religious without Jesus Christ. And it's almost like a barrier is thrown up. And because this, this religious front throws up a barrier where you, you won't get out from behind that mask or that barrier and bury your heart to the Lord. These men were called wise men. God told them where to go. They were willing to leave everything and head toward Jerusalem to find that Messiah. And they had a willing heart and God led them all the way. My friend, how's your heart for the Lord? How's mine? I stand before you and tell you that when I was 23 years of age, just a farm kid, somebody came to my hometown, started a church, and led me to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know the same Savior that saved me is willing to do that for you. Won't you trust him? It's a wonderful thing. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for the gifts that were given you deserve them all, Lord. You deserve them all. You are king. And that one day every knee will bow. And every tongue, even those who are lost, will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. You're worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our bowing to thee. You deserve it. And then, Lord, you died for us, gave your life up willingly that we can have life eternal. Thank you for yourself, Lord. Lord, I wouldn't change a thing about you. You're perfect. And since you're perfect, there's nothing that could be done to make you more perfect. But Lord, enable us as your people to love you as you deserve to be loved. Bless this church. Bless this congregation. Enable them to find the person that you have called to be the shepherd of this church. Give them wisdom. Give them understanding. Enable them not to depart from your word and finding that person to lead here. So Lord, do your work. Dismiss us with your blessing. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.